Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to MedHeads. And today we have Anita Fletcher from Standard Medical. Hello, Anita. How are you? Hi, I'm really well. Thanks, Fergal. How are you? I'm very well, and thanks very much for joining us today. So first of all, what is Standout Medical? Okay, so um, thank you for inviting me to um, chat with you today. Uh, Standout Medical Careers is a um, consultancy practice that I established um, in April of 2020, um, and I provide services to doctors uh, at every career stage, uh, regarding all things their career. So that could be ranging from uh, somebody needing assistance with their CV, bringing it up to date, bringing it down from 16 pages to, to five pages, um, and preparing for interview skills, um, career planning, a whole range across the sort of mm. spectrum of, of uh, career opportunities and and opportunities and applications for training programs as well. Right. So really, you you walk with medical practitioners from their birth until they get to the top of their f chosen field. Really, is that is that fair to say? Yes, that's right. And actually, yeah. I've found that there's a, a number of doctors that I've been working with for a few years now, uh, since coming across them in um, during my time working for the AMA, the Australian Medical Association. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm pleased to say that people keep coming back to uh, to get my thoughts mm. and assistance on that next step that they take each year. So that was actually a useful segue into my next question, which is what gave you the impetus to set this company up? You know, why, why you, why here, why now? Okay, so my background was in HR. I had a, a sort of long career in business um, in a number of different areas, sort of operational areas in a you know, media settings um, many years ago. And then I moved into human resources and really enjoy working with people. And then I started working for uh, AMA New South Wales back in 2015. And at that time, they asked me to establish a career service for their members. And once I started doing that work, I sort of felt that I really found my, my niche and uh, and something that I felt that was really valuable being able to assist doctors um, who I've got a lot of time for. Uh, so it all went from there. I was working for AMA New South Wales and also then federal AMA. And then I made the decision to, to go out on my own and, and see what it was like to, you know, the whole entrepreneurialism thing. Uh, I thought yeah. I would explore that. Which and okay. you know, very pleased to say it's been fantastic so far. So we've got so much to talk to, talk about, and I'm just trying to think how how can I cut this down to one interview? But I, for me, and I'm being really selfish here. The interview. How do you prepare for an interview? And I suppose there are different interviews at different stages in one's career. So let's talk about the first you know interview after medical school, your first rotation job. How do you prepare for that? Okay, good question. Um, it's a very popular question. 
Um, essentially, I the key components of interviews for me are for people to understand, really get their heads around what is their expertise and what offer what do they offer to their prospective employers. So, say for that first rotation and. And, and how can they put themselves forward with some kind of unique value proposition and, and show how they are different and mm-hmm. um, from the many others who are at the same stage of their training uh, and right. work experience. So in order to be able to communicate those things to others, people obviously need to sort of really stop and think about that for themselves and identify what those things are. And Whilst that might sound really obvious, um, people don't necessarily always go through that that process themselves. So I hope that people will will gain from this conversation in terms of thinking, okay, start there um, and think about also so what you're offering, what you bring and how you can differentiate yourself from other candidates. So that might be then, you know, what you want to do then is really highlight and showcase uh, your unique experiences and why they make you a suitable candidate for the position. And then it's a case of um, I practice with my clients, so practising lots of questions uh, mm-hmm. and also practising overall communication skills in order to maximise the time, the short amount of time that is available during an interview situation. So what I'm hearing is that you have to have the substance of the unique selling point ready to go for the interview, and then you have to be able to present that unique selling point. So we've got an issue with substance, and then we've got an issue with presentation. Now, I, I can remember when I was when I did my first ever rotation job interview, I was green about the ears. I had basically got a medical degree and, and, and you know, back when I was uh, in my career then, having a medical degree just qualified you to sit more exams. It didn't actually qualify you to, to, to treat people. And I was always told, sell yourself. And I personally could not think of anything that I'd done special compared to anyone else. How do you deal with that sense of nihilism in someone fresh out of school, out of, out of medical school, or do you actually have to start saying to people in med, in med school, as they go into med school, you need to start doing something that is different from everybody else? How do you create that substance? Mm, good question. And it's something I feel quite passionate about, actually, because, um, and that is telling people that at the med school stage, uh, mm. this is what the medical landscape looks like. Getting that medical degree is no golden ticket into the specialty Mm. training program of your choice. And Mm. beyond that as well, uh, it's not the golden ticket into becoming a consultant in that specialty area because uh, some specialties are incredibly uh, challenged by this, what they call the exit block uh, which is, represents the number of candidates coming out of a specialty program and funneling into a very limited number of actual employment positions available. Uh, so that that I'm I've actually developed a, an online training course for medical students to to give them the heads up on that because so many doctors that I've worked with have said, 
I wish I knew when I was at medical school what I should be doing in order to better position myself for those opportunities because once you've gone past it, it's obviously too late. You can't go back. Uh, so the sorts of things that, that people where they do differentiate themselves are, for example, an obvious one is, you know, research, um, developing research skills, um, leadership uh, skills as well and uh, involvement in different um, for example, committees that I see a lot of medical CVs and those people who are sort of have got their antennae up from an early stage or they've been advised by someone who knows, they're the people who you can see it on their CVs. They were aware of it early on and they started getting, making those inroads early in their yeah. career. So I so would say, I'm... sorry, go on. I was going to, I was being facetious. I was going to say an intimate understanding of the biochemistry of the various top shelf liqueurs that I acquired during my medical school training is not something that you can uh, put onto a CV. You've got to do something substantive. Spending time mm. in a pub is just, it's like, it's, it's no longer an option. That's right. That's right. Mm. Mm. So you've mentioned committee work. You've mentioned research and how do you how do you um, actually determine what committees to go on to and what research skills that you might need? And you, you also mentioned leadership skills. You know how do you how do you demonstrate those things? Okay, well, I'm also really big on what identifying uh, what people's interests are and what they enjoy doing. And I think that if you sort of steer towards what you're naturally gravitating towards. You, you kind of can't go wrong because you're satisfying your own needs, uh, mm. your professional development needs, and also, you know, you're, you are then, if you say, for example, choose to do some volunteer work in a particular area, you're still, it doesn't necessarily matter exactly what it is at that stage of the game. It's, mm. it's the fact that you've undertaken that activity that you've shown that initiative and you've shown the commitment and then you've you've worked to develop particular skills, that that's what um, future recruiters and selectors will be looking for. So it should be, um, you know, about what your interests are. Uh, and so, for example, with research, obviously, you know, it, regardless of what the research topic is, the core skills are going to be similar, if not the same, across the board in different areas of research. So it's the ability to, you know, get onto a project and um, collect the data and communicate with others and working with the team. And, and that's what people are looking for, the development of those skills. So we've talked about the need to, even before you leave medical school, to have some ex some substantive experience in something outside the immediate medical curriculum. And the second part of your original response was you need to actually also be able to present this. So what are the skills at, of presentation that we need to develop? And what are the skills that you see that are lacking in certain candidates? Thank you for asking that question because uh, this is where people can really help themselves by, by paying attention to these areas. So first of all, getting your story down on paper. Uh, often your CV is the first 
impression and the first contact that you have with a lot of the people that are, are looking at, at applications. And that, again, might seem really obvious, but when I've, I, there are some CVs that I've, I've seen in my time that I could look at and think, well, I can understand why you may not be getting called for interview um, because that first impression really isn't cutting, you know, meeting the grade. So, you know, I really encourage people to think about those um, communications. So their CV, even if they're writing an email to someone, to be very mindful that these are documents that more than one person might be looking at. They might be kept on file for a really long time and it is that first um meeting or experience that those people have of you. So if you haven't taken the care to present your CV in a clear and concise, um, easy to read and easy um, to digest format, um, people aren't going to be interested. They'll put you on the no pile and the people, the CVs that will get onto the yes pile are the ones that are, are, are clear, as I said, um, well formatted, and most importantly, that they have the information there that's that's relevant to the position for which the person's applying. So the first, there's there's that one written application document. Um, often there's selection criteria responses that are really important as well. Uh, and all the, the junior doctors will know about that and, and, and the more senior doctors as well, they're still having to provide those well into their careers. And actually one of my clients last year came to me and said, oh, um, he was trying to get onto an anaesthetic scheme job and, and he said, oh, I, last year I got some feedback that one set of selection criteria responses I submitted the first six or so were done really well and then by the time I got to the last two, I'd sort of, you know, didn't pay so much attention to those. So the feedback that he received was, you know, each of those responses carries equal weight when it comes to scoring. So you need to ensure that you pay just as much attention to all of those. And and as I said, they're written records and they're, they're they're going to be around for a while to, for people to look at. Uh, so that's kind of on the written side of things. And then uh, in terms of presentation also, how you turn up to interview and and how well you communicate in those interview settings. Well, that's a huge subject. It is. <laughs> how to communicate in an interview. Yes. My first question about interviews is, do you think that interviews are actually any good at finding the right candidate for the right job? Well, that's a good question. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I think so, yes, because what, one of the core functions of an interview is for the, the selectors to put a name to a face or a face to a name and get a mm -hmm. sense and to meet the person that they're considering to bring into their team. So to my mind, you know, in an, an interview is the best way to establish that because it's to some degree, you know, that's introducing that sort of human and people element um, into it because at the end of the day, you know, it's the people who you're going to be working with that are going to be getting the job done and, you know, an interview affords the opportunity to 
gauge whether there's that right rapport and whether the personalities with the team are all going to gel well with this with this candidate so you know that's where people talk about we want to get someone who's the right fit with our within our organization so be that within medicine or further afield um you know because at the end of the day it's, it's people working together so i think that interviews are a valuable um tool for for determining those things so what are the what are the mistakes that you see people make at interview okay lack of preparation uh yeah. leaving their preparation to the last minute which only then heightens their anxiety about the interview process and their nerves mm. uh i've had doctors come to me and say i need your help because i'm fine talking with people in in my day-to-day -day job but when it comes to interviews i can't think straight i can't communicate well i start to you know speak too fast or tell stories that are too long um so there's a a range of areas that that people really should be working on and through that mm. preparation and practice that i spoke of earlier um people's performance can improve markedly and i yeah. do see those those outcomes with the people that i work with and are there a stock set of questions or is there a stock set of questions that you kind of have to know the answers to you know and and that is, that are applicable in various domains and scenarios well of course there's limited it's an infinite number of questions really that anybody could ask in an interview but essentially they tend to follow similar themes um and sometimes actually some of them can be can be flipped the other way so one example of that was there was um a fellow that I was working with recently who was um applying for their first consultant's position and this client of mine said to me oh you know that question we practice they asked that they said um but it, but they flipped they turned it around the other way so i think it was um something along the lines of the question that we had practiced was uh tell us about a time where you've experienced resistance to a change that you were trying to implement um from other members of the team so the the other people were resisting the change that you wanted to put into place and this doctor said to me they turned it around and they said when have you resisted the change that was being asked of you so you know there's obviously so many variations but that's one example of you know mm. sort of it's worth sort of really thinking about questions from different angles um mm. and and again practicing a wide range of questions be, because you know there's so many there's so many that can be asked so one of the questions that that I that I have had to answer was tell us a time when you demonstrated leadership mhm mm and i find that question personally very difficult to answer because i don't i sometimes fail to see what i do in terms of that leadership lens how do you define leadership and how do you advise people on how to demonstrate their leadership mhm mm 
Well, I, you know, there are many definitions of leadership, and the, but where I, the way I see it is that leadership really is about uh, bringing other people along to achieve the the goal of that team or that organization. So it's really about the influence that you can have in order to get people on board and to work with you um, in order to achieve a common result. And I've seen a lot of examples throughout my career of people who were put in management positions, but that didn't make them good leaders. And, Mm -hmm. And I often would look and think, okay, they've got this great idea and they want to, you know, implement something and make a change, this big improvement, here's what we're going to do. But unless you get the buy-in from the big team of people who you've asked to be a part of that, um, you're going to struggle to really succeed with that or it's going to take a lot longer than would be ideal. So that would be my definition of leadership. And the way that people could demonstrate that is through um, thinking about examples of of when they have undertaken those sorts of uh, activities. So ideally it's within a professional setting, um, but you also see on CVs doctors' um, involvements not only in sort of committees and those professional type activities but you know people list down their sporting achievements and their sporting um experience so that can demonstrate that you're you know you've got leadership qualities if you've if you've captained for australia uh in any particular team sport well that that probably says something about your ability to lead other people so that's a relevant example for people to bring in as well so essentially, I really ask people to think about and think outside sometimes of those more immediate um, settings or examples that they think are relevant and, and think beyond that a little bit more. Yeah, it it is very difficult, I think, for some people to actually tease apart what they do, uh, you know, on a near daily basis sometimes. Um, because I think there is a difference between leadership and project management. Um, yes. Could you agree? And if so, why? Yes. Well, I think project management's more about it's very task-focused. Um, mm. And so, of course, projects, you know, need to have tasks set out and deadlines put in place, and that's part of leadership too, to establish the, the project. But the bigger part of leadership is setting forward, you know, creating the vision and and out expressing to the team, here are the goals that, you know, I would like us to achieve or that the organisation wants to achieve, getting their input into it as well um, and getting feedback and and creating that feeling of of teamwork and inclusiveness um, within the people that you're working with. So to me... Leadership's more about people and bringing people along with it and utilising and maximising the skills and the the expertise of people, um, whereas project management to me 
whilst it involves people doing tasks, that's very much about sort of achieving particular objectives along the way that are part of that goal. So leadership versus organizing ability? Am I is that would that be a fair key word delineation? Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Mm. So leaders aren't necessarily the best organizers. That's right. And vice versa. That's right. Because mm. often the leaders are taking the bigger picture view as well. And mm. they're outsourcing the organizing to others. Anita, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but I really would like the opportunity of exploring these issues with you again in the near future. Thank you so much for joining with us today. You're really welcome. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Fergal, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. That's all for today's MedHeads. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and we'll see you next time.